0: Well, good morning, church family. It's good to see you. Happy New Year and welcome to 2022. And I'm excited this morning as we have the opportunity to start a new series and uh, begin this year in the Word. On your way in, many of you uh, hopefully got a scripture journal uh, that we'll be using throughout the coming year as we study the book of John. This book, uh, the purpose of this is one, that you have a copy of God's Word. And as even a goal of West Cabarrus Church is making more and better disciples from neighborhoods to nations, we believe knowing and understanding God's word equips us to be better disciples and to know him better. And so for the coming year, uh, we invite you to bring that journal with you to church, uh, take notes in it, mark it up, uh, circle keywords. Even today as we go through uh, parts of the first chapter of John, you're going to see great opportunity just to do some Uh, annotating and notating, and uh, so just encourage you to take advantage of that. On the inside of that scripture journal is a bookmark, and you'll see a couple of things. One side of that bookmark has three main questions, and the purpose of those questions is as you read the Word, engage the Word, whether it be for personal study time, maybe here in the service, just key questions to ask anytime you're reading God's Word. And so those are there for you uh, just to help you in in your time of reading and spending time in the Word. On the back of that, you will find a reading plan uh, through God's Word that will go with us through the spring semester of small groups. So if you looked on that and you went, wait, this thing says it starts January 16th, but this is the second. Purpose of that is our small groups will get started. Uh, The week of January 16th, and thus that's when the Bible reading will commence to go with that. So let me just encourage you to be a participant in reading and engaging God's Word, and we hope that this gift to you will uh, equip you to do that better uh, and to enjoy uh, the time in God's Word. And so this morning I want to invite you, as I said, to go to John chapter 1, and as you're turning there, uh, just a couple of unbelievable facts I I call them unbelievable because it kind of fits the narrative I'm going for but maybe some facts you just didn't know all right Uh, first one did you know that the shortest war in history was called the Anglo-Zanzibar war and that it lasted about 38 minutes According to History Today, uh, the Anglo-Zanzibar War has that honor, uh, and the conflict happened in 1896 between East African island Zanzibar and Great Britain. Interesting. Uh, Second one, Albert Einstein could have been the president of Israel when it was formed, but he declined. Einstein was Jewish, but not an Israeli citizen, and in spite of that, he was offered the presidency in 1952, but he turned it down. said, I'm a deeply moved by the offer from our state of Israel, and at once saddened and ashamed that I cannot accept it. He said, all my life I have dealt with objective matters, hence I lack uh, the ability to deal with... The relational side. I see things too objectively. So whether you see those and uh, you find those unbelievable or I just helped increase your family trivia knowledge, either way, um, you've got a couple more things. But one of the things that as we start this series, we've titled Believe and Live. And the facts always support what we're going to believe, right? And what we're going to see from the book of John is the very purpose for which he wrote the book. And just getting started, you'll see it show up on the screen. Let me read for you John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. And we'll find our purpose. And it says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in His name, He said some stories are not included, but I put these in so that you would believe Jesus is the Christ and believe. And so, uh, let this beginning just kind of build the framework as we go through the Book of John. That the things we're reading are designed and written for the purpose of structuring our belief about God, specifically Jesus Christ, and out of that effect directly how we live. And so from that, each week I want you to be looking two questions that our text is hopefully going to be speaking and, and hopefully we'll be able to answer each week. Number one, what is it that John is desiring for us to believe about Jesus? And question number two, how does believing these things about Jesus cause us to live? What is he trying to tell us about Jesus And then if we know this truth and we believe it, then how does it cause us to live? And so with that, I invite you to turn to John chapter 1, and you can read along whether you do it in your journal, your Bible, or on the screen. Listen now to the word of the Lord. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He, being Jesus, has made him known. Let's pray together. Father, we come to this incredible time of opening your word. And Lord, we quickly confess that we have a great need of your help in understanding these truths. Lord, we thank you for who you are, a God full of glory, grace, and truth. And we ask now that, oh, God, you would reveal yourself to us. Lord, give us ears to hear, eyes to see. Open our hearts, Lord. Give us your complete attention. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. These first 18 verses through the book of John, are, are heavy with truth and meaning. And they serve as the prologue or even, you could almost say, the overview. It's like the Cliff Notes version of all the book of John is put in 18 verses. And the book of John uh, comes at it each as each of the Gospels do, with a certain perspective of what it's trying to teach. And specifically about Jesus. For instance, Matthew emphasized Jesus' kingship. Mark focused on Jesus' servanthood. Luke focused on his manhood. And John, he points to his godhood. These initial verses give us a detailed introduction of who Jesus is and how he came to be our life and how he wants to be our life. And today I want to take a few minutes to explain some of these phrases through this scripture. And and I want to encourage you if. Uh, man, we're, we're going to dig in here for a few minutes and I, I want to give you some meaning to some of these words and, and some of these verses because it's going to shape and frame and set up not just our application, but it's going to give us understanding to how we proceed further through this book in understanding exactly more of who Jesus is. And so today we're going to talk about finding life, finding this life that came. This eternal life, this Jesus, what, it, what does it look like? And so point number one today, we're going to look at in verses one through three, Jesus being the word of life. The word of life. You see in verses one through three, the word, word, capital W, shows up. And so here's just kind of an explanation of, of what's going on there. And if this is one of your first times, reading the book of John or going through this, you might have been like, man, a lot of people say, read John, that's, that's a good place to start, and yet you're reading this going, man, this is some confusing stuff. And yet, when we go through even verse 1 right here, a couple of things are just kind of, to me anyway, they open up the understanding of who Jesus is. So listen here, as we see the word as the subject, and it begins with Jesus as the word. John's emphasis is to detail who Jesus is as the son of God. And so in the original language of Aramaic, word is called logos. You may have seen that word before, uh, but logos and to the Jewish person this term was familiar because it was used in the writings of the Old Testament. They heard God referred to as the word. To the Greeks, though, who was the other primary group of people at the time, Greek, logos was a word from philosophy. It was a rationalizing principle for terms of divine reason or the rationale of the universe, meaning logos was the word used to explain the reason why things exist or where they originated from, where, where things came from. It was the concept that was seen as the source of wisdom. Even to the average person, Logos signified one of the most important principles in the universe. And it might have been an object they would reference as Logos. Like they would see a thought or come across an item and say, man, this is kind of a Logos or it gives a divine reason. All right, but watch what John does here uh, with this word. John uses the word Logos not as a subject or description, but he takes and turns it into a title of Jesus, forever linking it to Christian meaning. Here's what he did, is he made the being of God, the very thing that humanity even today seeks out, what is this divine, what is the end, what is the beginning, where does all wisdom come from? In the beginning, when John says, in the beginning was the word, was the logos, here's what he says, he scripts the word logos, except he gives it a title it becomes a person no longer just an idea but he says this is the divine reason for which everything exists man that's a heavy truth just to launch with right there isn't it it's like hey everyone's out here guessing what's the divine reason what what is the beginning of all things where do we come from and john says in the beginning was the logos now instantly sitting here this this has to grab our attention because We have to answer the question Do we believe right up front Jesus to be the beginning and the ending of all things? And so, with that, we see the eternality of the word or of the Logos. And that is, and we see this word one more. This is a great place to circle here. Uh, In verse one, you see the verb was. And you're like, Yes, standard past tense English word there was. But In its original language, again, going back, it was in the, what I never got understood in school, but what's called the imperfect tense. Meaning, if if you're not a grammar shark here, here's what this means. That from the past, but a still continuing action. Something that happened in the past, but never ceased to exist. And so when when we listen, and I want to give you a few phrases here from this verse, listen to how it takes the scripture and all of a sudden we find life come to life right here. Verse 1, in the beginning was the word, in the beginning was Jesus, and he always was continuing, meaning today Jesus is still continuing as the beginning. He never ceased. The next part, the Word was with God. It characterizes the perfect deep fellowship that Jesus had with the Father. Jesus has always continued in perfect relationship with the Father. The Son of God and the Father. Perfect unity. Never separated. Never one person here and then another person. Always one God, completely equal And existing in three persons. But we see the communion between the Son and the Father. And then John closes out verse 1 and he says, And the Word was God. Jesus was and continuing as God, a couple of big words for you, but hang on, in essence and character. Jesus was God in every way possible, yet still a separate person from the Father we could spend all our time just working out those phrases. But I want those just to resonate. One, that God, Him being Christ, is the beginning. The divine reason for which all things exist. And He was at the beginning and still continuing in that very place. And then we see here that there was creation by the Word. Verse 3 expresses Jesus as the creator of the universe. And this statement opens the doors for the rest of the New Testament that express Jesus as the active participant in creation. Him being Jesus present at creation, Genesis 1.1. Listen to Colossians 1.16 that says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, or authorities. All things were created by him being Jesus and for him creation holds foundational truths for us as christians why because john could scarcely say it any better than the end of verse three for without him was not anything made that was made stay with me right here as we talk about creation for a second from molecules to galaxy only the god who made all things can redeem all things jesus was not a created being because he, he is the creator Creation is the beginning point of the gospel. So John begins by revealing that life can be found in Jesus, who is the word or the divine reason of all things. These are life-changing truths to know. But there's such a deeper reality of Jesus than John introduces us to here, and that's point number two. Jesus is the light of life. The themes of life and light are common throughout the book of John. Just as Jesus is the creator of all life, he is the existence of the very life he gives. Take a look at verses 4 and 5 again. He says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verses four and five give us a brief summary of, again, I want to introduce you to a big word that'll show up through John here. Is to the incarnation of Christ. Incarnation just means this: it means to enter into or become flesh. It's the term that means pre-existent Son of God became man in the flesh called Jesus. Now I would quickly recognize if you're someone that's on the fence or listening, watching, and you're you're going, Man, preacher, you, you, you're you crossing some crazy lines right here. I would tell you, for us as Christians, this is perhaps one of the most key doctrines that we hold. That the word of God took on flesh and came. We just celebrated it in the birth of Christ in Christmas. But the truth of that, if that changes, if we lose the reality of Jesus being the fleshly version of Almighty God, if we lose that, then we never get to Calvary and see the sacrifice of the Son of God. So the incarnation is not just a term, it is something that holds profound truth and meaning even to us. So we carry this on, verse 4, he says, In him was life. Jesus was not a, listen to this, he was not a consumer of life as a human, but was self-existent in the being of life. He didn't require food. He took it on as a human. But in the form of God, he is the source of life. Foundational to understand that God is not pulling life from a source that is in himself. He is the source of life. There was nothing before God. He is the source. And he says at the end of verse 4, he, the life was the light of men. We know that Jesus... Almighty God is the giver of physical life. But in the book of John, what we're going to see is John is referring to spiritual life and its connection to spiritual light. The true light that imparts light to every man was coming into the dark world. Now we need to go back to Genesis once again. It It was the fall of man in the Garden of Eden that brought darkness and sin To God's perfect light in creation. And Jesus came to bring light to our darkened hearts. The images of light and darkness are carried throughout Scripture. We see that. We understand that. And on an intellectual level, light refers to truth. See that in Psalm 119, 105. And light refers to the darkness to light. The reference to that you can find in Romans 2, 19. But morally... Light refers to holiness. 2 Corinthians 6.14 and Proverbs 4.19 show us that darkness refers to sin. I promise I'm going to get out of terms and stuff here in a second. We're going to start kind of speaking more application. Hang with me just a couple more minutes. But we find verse 5 teaches us something that we know with our physical eyes. Physical darkness does not overcome light. There can be more darkness and light, so things can be dimmer. But light is what does the expelling of darkness. It is only when we cut off the light that the darkness is able to grow. There, just think on that for just a moment. It's not that there would be so much darkness it would consume the light. No, it's that the light has to be ex- extinguished. In fact, we know the opposite to be true. The darker it becomes... The brighter even the smallest light becomes so practically we see this played out in our own lives have you ever wondered why you come to places in your own life and you live in sin and even become come to the place of being comfortable in sin like how can it be you recognize even could sit here now and go I'm aware of sin in my life and I've confessed before God and yet somehow I cannot peel away from this and yet I would say there is even a hint of knowledge there that even steps in, though, that where you are is not good with God. But you have reconciled your thoughts or actions to be okay in some way. And the only way to live and exist in such sin is we start cutting off the source of light. Or, may I say, we start ignoring the light, meaning God's word, the truth. We start stepping back from that and go, "Yes, I know that, but I disconnect, and instead of pursue sin." Listen further here, uh, just illustration here, talking about the effects of light deprivation. This is just a a psychologist uh, tells us that one of the most difficult conditions a person can be forced to bear is light deprivation, darkness. In fact, is often used in military captivity or penal institutions. Uh, to break down an individual's self or sense of self. And once a person becomes disoriented, once they lose a sense of where they are and what it is that lurks in the dark around them or where the next crevice or wall or attack may come from, once they can no longer feel in control of their physical surroundings, listen to this, a person loses a sense of self. Every shred of self-confidence shrivels. The giant within them falls, and they become whimpering prey of the unknown, he says. The natural instinct, instinct to be combat, combative is paralyzed by fear. The spirit of resistance weakens, and the prisoner becomes more pliable, more submissive, more willing to take directions. Darkness disorients a person both physically and psychologically, and I want to add to even our conversation today, Spiritually. How much is it that we have seen darkness in the shape of sin? The ideas of our flesh, the things we desire. And yet what happens when we kind of tinker in those worlds or, or the farther down those holes of sin that we found ourselves? What does it do? The darkness begins to close in. And it takes away what? It starts stripping away the ability to combat spiritually, and to go, no, I must resist, I can fight this. Instead, what does the brain even begin to do? And it resonates with our heart. Is it begins to get in there and tinker and go, no, you can't, you're not enough. This is going to help you get through. Don't you feel the misery you are without this? And the darkness just begins to creep as it suffocates the light out. Don't we feel that? We sense that. And yet, we step back into the truth of our word here. And we see the evil one uses spiritual light, deprivation, to weaken our senses. And you may think it seems as though the darkness is winning and closing in the gaps of the light. And the same was felt even in the days of the gospel writers. There had been 400 years of silence from God. But the darkness was getting ready to take its greatest defeat yet. We see how the light would forever overcome the darkness in verses 9 through thirteen, When the true light appears. Jesus came as our true light. The use of the word true is another term that is specific to most of John's writing. True meaning that which has not only the name and semblance, but the real nature that goes with the name. Hear that again. Not just the name and semblance of the name, but the actual nature that goes with that name. Jesus was not a picture of the Father, but he bore the very name and nature of God. He wasn't a light in the darkness, but was the genuine, true God that came in the form of his creation. He wasn't just the light in the darkness. He was the light that overcame the darkness by coming into this world as the Savior of its creation. Perhaps you even know this part of the story, sitting here in... This place or other churches are reading in your time in the word. But I want to ask you again to hear this message right here with a fresh ear. It was the creator that came into his creation. But the world that he made and gave life to did not know him. Jesus came for humanity but also to his own people. Even the chosen nation of Israel said his own people, the nation of Israel, did not know him. And we see even in verse 11 that His own didn't receive him. He even looked at the people of Israel and referred to them as a stiff-necked people that rejected their Savior. And if we stopped here, we would see this, it seems like a tragedy of just epic proportions. is building the Savior, the Creator, shows up to redeem it all. And they reject him. However, again, he's setting the scene when the light would shine the brightest the coming of Christ, and then see the hope of verse 12. Let me read it to us all again. He says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Man, that that phrase, let me caution you from dismissing the phrase children of God as church speak, or just language we use and go, pastor, I've heard this, but man, I've never really felt this you know, child of God thing, what, what is that? And, and yet it is that we have already illustrated the darkness that is so prevalent at work in us. This verse is telling us a way of escape that binds our life to the true light. Are you here today and find yourself overcome with darkness and going, I'm struggling to overcome sin, to find Jesus as Lord. Then he says, attach yourself to the true light. To recognize, pursue the light. Not just because you're going, well, I'm looking for the emotion. I, I need a sense of feeling and being. No, he's saying, John is saying, see the truth. See the facts. Believe. Hold fast. Watch and see. Let it, the truth affect how you live. Not just waiting on, ah, that feels better. No, but in the moment. Be combative against the darkness and say, No, I'll hold to the true light. That's what a child of God is: is one that is bought with the blood of Jesus and that is attached to the true light. It's not bound to the darkness, but in fact is set free. And this happens through receiving the light, meaning don't reject him as his own did, but believe. In Jesus, believing means to recognize that you are a sinner, that I am a sinner, and to repent, it means to receive Jesus as Lord. The salvation in Christ is is not attainable by our own blood, the will of our flesh. Or the will of man, as verse 13 tells us. You can't get salvation because of your ethnic or racial heritage, by your personal desires, or any man-made system. Salvation is from God and through His Son, Jesus. Man, we need to hear that truth right now. Because we are grasping for hope and truth in a world around us when it lies in the truth of Christ before us. That according to the scripture, you cannot be born into salvation, be good enough, or even, man, and this hurts to say, but even have enough positive intentions that at the end of the day, Almighty God looks upon your life and says, Yeah, that was good enough. It's all filthy rags at the end. No, we must attach to the true light, we must repent of the darkness. Run to the light. I can't think of any greater way, even as we start a new year and consider even a new series before us, than to believe and hold fast as a church and as the people of God that say, I will hold fast to the truth of Almighty God that he sent his son Jesus to be the light of the world. This isn't a message of depression or loss, but one of great hope and answers to our deepest need. And many have, of us have our reasons for struggling in our faith or even not trusting Jesus. Most would even say, hey, if God would show himself visually before me, then, then I would believe. And yet when we read verse 14 and we come back to that word incarnation, we see that the Logos did just that. It became flesh and it dwelt among us. See, when you're in the dark and searching for life, where do you go? To find life, you run toward the light. I pray today in your search for life and purpose, look to Jesus who's that light of life. But when we come to the word becoming flesh, being revealed as the glory of the Father and the fullness of grace, we come to point number three, and that is Jesus is the grace of life. He's the grace of life. Look, again, we start our study through verse 14. And to get a decent glimpse and understanding of this word grace, you have to step back and first gain an understanding of sin. Because if you don't understand sin, then there's no need for grace. When we look back, again, going back, it's amazing. The gospel begins in Genesis 1. We see the Garden of Eden, the physical perfection of creation. But look even deeper and you'll find that there was also social, emotional, and spiritual perfection as well. Adam and Eve's relationship with themselves in between God was such that there was no shame or even a reason to hide. Imagine this, they had the perfect marriage with a perfect unity between the Creator and His creation. And we've spent... All of our time, even now, we spend all of our time striving and looking to get back to the garden. Seeking out our answers. Even we find ourselves New Year's resolutions abounding in this world. Looking for hope. Hoping that the next year, the next thing will bring back the perfection that once existed all the way back in Genesis 1. But that won't be until Jesus returned because Genesis chapter 3 happened. We yielded to sin. And all of the perfection was surrendered to the darkened desires of our flesh. Creation and humanity since is longing for a return to this purity and perfection. And the darkness of our flesh pulls us towards sin. Listen to Ephesians 2 verse 1. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sin. And so to fully understand grace, we must realize that we are hopeless before God on your own. You can't make yourself stop stop sinning. You ever attempted that? We all probably should nod our head yes right there. Okay, that's the last time. I'm done. No more. I'll never think, say, or do that again. Anybody have a hundred percent success rate on that, by the way. How can that be? Because we're not enough. The good doesn't exist within us, and left to our own, there is nothing but darkness. And a flesh and sin nature that runs back to the darkness. You know, that might be maybe one of the greatest truths we need to grasp right here this morning. We're not enough. And to take it one step further, we're not God. That's why we needed Jesus. That's why the true light had to come. And so when we look at grace, we get a beautiful phrase that says, but God. But the grace of God came through the person, the incarnation, the flesh of Jesus Christ. Grace is God reaching out to us in our sin. When we deserved judgment, grace gave us salvation for absolutely no reason we deserved except the creator says, I love you and I want a relationship with you and so I'm going to pay that which you cannot pay. One commentator even reflected on God's grace or the grace of Christ is this. He says, the infinite God became finite. The creator entered his creation. The invisible became visible. And the temple of God was no longer the building, but was in flesh among them. Two quick things about grace I want you to see. Jesus' grace is life because he displays the glory of God. Of the Father. I need you grab your Bible. We need to run to Exodus 34 really quick. If you've got a Bible or something, I, I want you to see it in God's word this morning. Where we take a look and we see Moses' request for God to reveal himself. And, and just to set us up, uh, God has directed Moses to lead the people of Israel away from Mount Sinai. But Moses is questioning whom God will give him as a guide. And the Lord responds that he will send his presence. And Moses asks for a display of God by revealing his glory. You can read the backstory in Exodus 33, beginning in verse 17. But just to give us the quick notes here. The Lord agrees, though, as Moses says, Lord, we will not go if you don't go with us. And then he asks, he says, Lord, that you would reveal your glory to us. And the Lord You'll notice in your Bible, it's capitalized O-R-D, meaning Yahweh, the name of God himself, agrees to reveal his back, only his back to Moses, only once. And then upon that, he's going to shield him in the cleft or a crack of a rock, so only this little bit of a light can go through. And he's going to cover his eyes because God says, you cannot look upon my face. No one can see my face. But, but, but upon declaring his name, Moses could catch a glimpse of God's back. Now look at verses 6 and 7 in Exodus 34. Listen to the word of to God himself speak. He says the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. Here he is God saying, "Here's who I am." The Lord, the Lord. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty. The same words, flip back over to John there. The same words that God describes his name with are the same ones that John uses for Jesus. You see what just happened? Listen. The same Lord that gave his presence among his people in Exodus, the Yahweh that stepped into that place, has now come in flesh through Jesus. Can't we see right here, Jesus is not the next best thing. He is the almighty Yahweh. He is the full glory of God. The very one that Moses could not look upon but catch just a glimpse of the back. The purity and holiness became incarnate, came to earth, veiled in human flesh because we couldn't bear to look upon the full glory. And so we see the second part. Jesus' grace is life because he exemplifies the love and truth that are in God. The very same glory, the faithfulness, the love, the grace upon grace shows up at the end of verse 14, it says, "We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth." In the Old Testament, God gave His presence as a guide and the law to reveal our sin. The list of things saying, "Don't do this, that sin." It was that we would recognize sin. In Jesus, the presence of God came to live and dwell among us and to be our sacrifice before the Father. Jesus sacrifice allows the glory or the presence of the God to go from listen to this to go from the people to being inside the people. Is Jesus display of ultimate grace in salvation that makes the Lord accessible to us. Not just in a temple, not through a priest, the veil of the temple was torn Take a moment and consider how the Lord has extended to you grace upon grace, reason upon reason that in your darkness you weren't left, there was hope, there's been blessing brought, there's been reminder again, oh, if you're sitting here lost today or watching, I pray you would hear this, that within yourself there is not reasoning ability to consider the salvation of God. But that the grace of God would once again present himself before you and say, oh, see and believe. That's the truth of Christ. Listen, look at Exodus again. He says, a God merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. Yes, there's a God of judgment that is there, but look who he is. God, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands. Forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. It is the grace of God that continually tugs at our hearts to see the reality of who Jesus is. Oh, church family, I ask, how can we resist so great a word? How can we resist so great a light? That would come in the middle of the darkness. And how can we sit and resist so great a grace? It is Jesus on display. And then finally, imagine just a scenario in which you you are lost in a forest. It's a cloudy night, the moon cannot give you its light. You don't have your smartphone to be used as a flashlight. It's so dark that you can't even see the hand in front of your face. There's simply no light to be found. And as you're wandering through the dark forest, you've now traveled so far that you've forgotten which direction you have come from. Suddenly, off in the distance, appears a man making his way through the forest with his flashlight. Knowing that he may be able to help, you carefully make your way to him. And upon meeting the man with the flashlight... He instructs you that he is very familiar with the forest and he is able to help you navigate out of the forest back to your house. But all you need to do is follow him as he shines his light for you to see. And the question today is, will you follow this man who gives you such light? In the middle of our darkness and our wandering, screaming for purpose. And going, where's the hope? I want to feel better. How, where is it? Where is the, the need? Where is, where is it that fills the emptiness? And right here in the book of John today, we have before us the life that we're seeking. And his name is Jesus. If you're an unsaved sinner, watching, sitting here, I want to beg of you today. To surrender your life to Christ. To come to that place of going, just recognition. Something that every safe sinner once did. But of recognition that says, I'm not enough. And the darkness is greater than me on my own. But there's a light. You can come to Jesus by repenting of your sins and believing that he is the Lord Jesus Christ who died on a cross for your sin and confess that he is Lord and he will save you. I encourage you to find your life today in Christ. If you're a saved sinner, I beg of you today to repent where sin is present and recognize there is no finish line this side of eternity. We are all in a daily battle of finding our life daily and consistently in Christ. Amen? This is not an easy time to walk and live as a believer. But yet see the hope that we have the opportunity of the true light and finding life in the Word, the very beginning, the Logos, who has given us grace upon grace to see His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, our Lord, we thank you for your word. We recognize, oh God, that you are our truth, our light. And God, we even in this place, thanks to your word, recognize that, Father, we're not capable of finding life on our own. And so, God, we say thank you for becoming life, in the form of Jesus Christ, and living as our sacrifice. God, we thank you for the truths of your word. Lord, I pray today over each person that hears this word. That Father, that whether they be unsaved and today recognizing their sinning, just feeling the tug in their own heart, that needs to confess you as Lord, I pray, oh God that you would reveal more of yourself right now, that they would come to the place of repentance and yielding. Please, oh God, I pray for those that are are saved. God, I pray that you would continually reveal our sin. Give us a desire, give us a focus, God, to see beyond just the things before us, but to see Jesus, to see our purpose and to see our life. God. We grow weary of this place, and, God, we need more and more of you. So, Father, I ask, reveal yourself often. Give us a hunger and love for your word. Give us a desire to hear and listen to godly things. And, oh, God, give us a desire to be a light in the darkness. We love you, and we praise your name.